If you have your copy of Scripture, find Acts, please. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And we're going to read from the second uh, chapter, beginning at verse 42. Have you ever heard the term mission drift? Most of you probably have. It's a, it's a term that describes an organization or a, a movement that has drifted slowly away from its original purpose or values or goal, its, its mission. It's easy for a, an organization or a movement, or a movement to, to drift, you know, to do things that you know, to slowly begin to do things that never were really part of the original purpose, or maybe to, to slowly abandon things that were once very important to that movement or that organization. It is possible for a church to experience mission drift. It is possible for a church at, like FBC Huntsville to, to drift slowly away from our original purposes and mission. So every once in a while, it's, it's helpful to go back and look at the first church, how this all got started. So we're going to spend the month of July in Acts studying the first church ever, the church in Jerusalem. We begin today with the birth of and the, init- the initial growth of the church. From Acts chapter 2, we begin at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs. And we're going to talk about wonders and signs this month performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It was 50 days after the resurrection, 10 days after Jesus' ascension into the heavens, Jesus' closest 120 followers were gathered in Jerusalem waiting as he had instructed them for what they did not know. But they were in an extended prayer session when suddenly the doors blew open and the candles and the papyrus on the tables blew off into the floor and people's hair was swirling and this wild wall of wind came rushing into that room. And then there were these tongues of fire, and a tongue is, is, is like that. If this were a, I don't know how to make an oil lamp. If this were the oil lamp, then that little flame there would be the, the tongue of fire. So these little tongues of fire are dancing in the air, in the, in the air around that room with the wind. You can imagine the commotion. And there were, so people were drawn. There were lots of people who heard what was going on. And there were lots of people in Jerusalem for the uh, holiday of Pentecost. And they were from all over the Mediterranean. So people from all over the Mediterranean came running down the street to this place where this big hullabaloo was going on. And, 
And when they got there, they heard the 120 people speaking. And miraculously and surprisingly, these 120 people, when they spoke, every, people from all over the Mediterranean who, who spoke different language, languages were hearing in their own language. In this mystical, miraculous, momentous moment in history, the church was born. The church was born in an unprecedented event marked by extraordinary power. A great crowd had gathered. Peter preached. The Bible says all who believed the message were baptized. There were 3,000 of them. Those those 3,000, along with the original 120, formed the They were the founding members. They were the charter members of the first church ever, the church in Jerusalem. And they they took seriously the church. They they met every day either in the temple courts or in people's houses. They ate together often. They paid attention to the apostles, those who had been with Jesus, as to what they taught about Jesus, they sold things when they had to, when people were in need, they sold, sold things so that nobody's needs would go unmet. And, and they were happy, they were glad, the Bible says, and it says that they, they enjoyed the favor of the people, commoner, com, common people outside looking in, liked them. Now, the relig- religious leaders didn't, but the, but the common person looked in and said, I like that group of people. And then... The Bible says God added to them daily people who were being saved. People who were being, what? Saved. Now, there are a number of things to learn from that first church. First, God grew the church. He he added to their number, which reminds us that it's a good thing to, to grow as a church numerically. Now, a quick caveat, you know, numeric growth is not the only measurement of success. We just had a team come back from New York City, that church in, uh, that we're helping, we're partnering with there, Graffiti. Carrie and I were there a couple of weeks ago. Back before COVID, they were a huge church of just a little over 100. And now after COVID, it's been tough on New York City. And they're just 50 or 60 now on Sunday mornings. But their impact on the community is greater than their, their numbers would would suggest, and I believe in God's eyes, they're a very successful church, although they're not a large church. So I'm not saying that you have to be a big church in order to be a, a successful church. However, it is a good, it is a good thing to, to have new people. Of course, in North America, you've seen the statistics that there, that churches, a lot of churches, most churches, have either plateaued or are, or are declining there's a cartoon of two pastors sitting together having coffee. The caption beneath is the quote of one of the pastors to the other. He says, we're in debt, talking about his church, we're in debt, the deacons have all quit, and we haven't had a guest in church for six months. But thank goodness none of the other churches are doing any better. See, now that's a little too close to the truth to be all that funny, Right? With churches struggling across North America, it's easy to, to just give up. 
And I fear there's a spirit of acquiescence, of resignation, of defeat settling over North American churches so that we're saying, well, you know, we're not who we used to be and all that, but, uh, you know, that church down the street, they're not who they used to be either, and we're kind of just giving in and giving up. And so you'll hear this phrase a lot. God called us to be faithful, not successful. And that's true to a degree, but it can be a cop-out. As long as we just gather faithfully and do our thing, if, if we don't grow, you know, growth is not everything, and God doesn't measure churches by buildings, budgets, and bottoms in the seats. I understand that, but, but we must never be content with anything less than our best at, at church growth, at, at people being added to the church. But God did not just add people to the church. He added to the church those who were being saved. Let's try that again. Those who were being Thank you. You know, a lot of people who join a church come from another church, of course. You know, they've, many people have moved. They lived in Nashville or Louisville or Knoxville or Gainesville or Charlottesville, and they moved to Huntsville or Albertville or Gunnersville or Rogersville or my favorite, Collinsville, and they join a church. You know, they, as soon as they get there, they're already looking around for a church. They ask the realtor, do you know any good churches? They've been faithful to their church in Knoxville and Gainesville and Charlottesville and so on, and so they're looking for a new church. And so let me say to you, if you have moved to this wonderful place called Huntsville, whether you're from Charlottesville or Gainesville or some otherville, we're glad you're here and we want you to join our church. Sometimes people join a church from across town. For multiple reasons, they will believe that it's time for another church. And some of those reasons are valid, good reasons. So let me say to you, if you're looking for a church home, please know that it would delight us to have you here. However, that which makes my heart sing and that which thrills my soul at its deepest is not just when God adds to our number, but when God adds to our number those who are being saved. Y'all are catching on to this. It, the Sopranos, or this is the alto. Oh, the altos. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't want our church to be about competition with other churches. That would be such a shallow kind of mission. When we lived in Nigeria, we used to go to the open market in downtown Ogbomashaw. You, you've seen, if you've not been there, you've, many of you have. If you've not been there, you've seen them on National Geographic or somewhere. You know, uh, people, usually ladies, selling things along the side of the street. And so we'd go down there. They'd, they'd be selling everything from mangoes to tomatoes to peppers to flip-flops and cloth and and, of course, it's always, there's always bartering involved, and Carrie is really good at bartering, so it's kind of like the, the game. She can make a car salesman cry. I've seen her. She's rough. So it was kind of a game. We'd walk down the street. So here's, here's a lady selling peppers, red peppers. And over here's another se- lady selling the same red peppers, 
But both of them are saying, come and, and buy from us. Buy from me. I have the best peppers. They're hawking their goods. I'm afraid that people on the outside of the church world look into the church world and they see us just hawking our goods and just competing with each, with each other for the same people, for the church shoppers. The mission of God is about more than, than competition with other congregations. That's why every Tuesday, our ministers pray the prayer that we prayed together a moment ago. God, help us to love FBC so deeply that we long for everyone to be part of our church without feeling like we are in competition with other congregations. So God added to their number, but not just to their number. He added those who were being saved. Did the Sopranos get it? That day's still kind of slow. The Sopranos kind of slow. So when we were in New York City, I went, I told you last week that I went to uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral uh, just off Times Square and, and had, I don't know, about an hour in there where, where it was just great quiet time. I also told you that was when Carrie was worshiping at Saks Fifth Avenue. But don't judge her. Don't judge her for that. And when I was at, at St. Patrick's, I, I remembered this, a story that I always remember when I go to one, to one of those grand cathedrals. And I tell it here every couple of years. If you're new, you may not have heard it, but I tell it here every couple of years because this is a story I hope will shape our culture as a church. So an American tourist, a lady was in Europe, and she was touring one of the grand cathedrals. The tour guide had told the history of the cathedral, its construction, and who funded it, and all the wonderful things that had happened there. And, and the tour guide talked about the architecture, the beautiful room, and said, notice this over there, and notice this over here, and told of the decoration and the, de and the architecture of the grand cathedral. And when he had finished talking about the, the history and the edifice, he asked for questions. This American woman, tourist, who apparently had no sense of decorum, asked, has anybody been saved here lately? It's a pretty good question. With a grand history and a spectacular building. Has anybody been saved here lately? It's not just about adding to our number. It's about, it's about people being saved. So what does saved mean? The word saved is kind of an old-fashioned word, right? It's not very trendy. And frankly, it sounds kind of country. As in, did you hear that Billy Joe got saved, right? It's, but it's a great word. And it's time we recapture that word. In the Bible, saved or salvation means significant, holistic, eternal transformation. Significant, 
Holistic meaning whole life, eternal transformation. Saved or salvation in the Bible, is, it's, 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 it's more than just being a little nicer. It's more than just, you know, cussing a little less and going to church a little more. It's about more than just taking a dose of do better or turning over a new leaf. Jesus, in fact, called it being born again and God inspired Paul to say it's like the old has passed away and the new has come. It's significant. It's not ever total. It's not ever complete. It's not ever perfect, this side of heaven. But it is a recognizable life event. Now, I'm not talking about a particular experience. You don't have to have an experience just like mine or just like anybody else's. You don't have to be a Baptist, you don't have to be part of any denomination. It's, it's, more, it's far more than that. But the truth is, everybody needs to be saved. Let me tell you about Alan. I met Alan in the blogosphere. Fifteen years ago, Alan and I were contributing, both of us, to this blog that was about faith. And it wasn't about, it wasn't all Christians. It was people from lots of traditions and even no faith traditions having spiritual conversations. And so Alan would, would write, now he is not, at least he was not then a follower of Jesus. I don't know now. Uh, he was not a part of the Christian tradition. He didn't grow up in the church, so he does not know our lingo. <clears throat> but Alan wrote one time about people needing to be saved. So Alan works for, or at least then, worked for a company that did uh, it, that pl- promised quick riches or easy wealth if people would just invest in these kind of schemes. But they were risky. They were chancy. And so lots of people, Alan said, would, would invest their money. Sometimes they're all their savings. Sometimes they would borrow money. And he said, I've seen people lose everything. Because this company he worked for were, was promising easy, you know, quick riches. And he felt bad. He he felt kind of guilty working for that company. Would you get your worship guides again, please? I want you to see what Alan said. It's on, it's under sermon notes. I kind of like the third page there. I I want you to see what Alan, remember Alan is not a Christian. But look at how he talks about people being saved. Secretly, deep down, everybody wants to be saved saved. Humans flock from one thing to the other, wanting to be saved. Now get this, this he's not a preacher. He's not even a follower of Jesus. But he said, people wanting to be saved. follow, Follow along, look at what else he says. Get rich quick schemes, fanatical political parties, the stock market, cosmetic surgeons, Ponzi schemes, etc. It all comes back to the one impulse. They want someone else or something else to save them from themselves. I'm no exception, he writes, and even the active alcoholic or addict feels on some level that salvation lies in the bottle or needle. The question is, what thing will meet this human need? Alan instinctively tapped into something that God has been speaking of 54 times in the New Testament, if I count correctly. The Bible speaks of, uses the word saved or salvation 54 times. People want to be saved or delivered from, from themselves, from, from pain, from 
regret, from lament, from guilt, from shame, from hopelessness. People needing to be saved. It's time we reclaim the Word. So how does one get saved? Miss Kristen told a story a while ago with a little help about... Uh, the jailer, remember, just it wasn't long after this big spectacular event when the church was born. Paul and Silas, the missionaries of that church, were, were in Philippi, and they were locked up for preaching. And, and God, who had blown that wind into the upper room, shook the ground underneath the prison, and that earthquake resulted in the, the doors of the prisons, prison swinging open. And the jailer, who assumed he'd lost his prized prisoners, Paul and Silas, and knew he'd lose his life, figured the honorable thing to do and the easier thing to do would be to commit suicide. And he was attempting to do, uh, preparing to do that when Paul and Silas saw him and begged him, please don't, no, stop. And so he asked them out of desperation. And we're not sure he, even he understood the full implications of his question. But he asked, what must I do, sirs? What must I do to be saved? And they answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Believe, the word translated believe in English is the Greek word that means to give one's heart to. It's not just thinking something to be true. It is giving all one has and all one is to this story of Jesus Two weeks ago, Carrie and I met uh, in New York City, met a young lady named Melissa Reyes, or Mel as they call her. Melissa was 19 years old, and on the 35th floor of the World Trade Center, the South Tower, on September 11, 2001, when the, the plane flew into the North Tower, the plane that had been hijacked by terrorists, they felt the impact, they heard the boom. They tried to figure out what did they do. They decided that they might too be in danger. So they ran down 35 flights of stairs and exited just minutes before the plane flew into the tower they had been in. She saved herself by, by running down those stairs. Years later, she had a little girl and um, there was a church called Graffiti, a little church on the east. Lower East Side of Manhattan, kind of a rough neighborhood. They, they did a toy store, which was an opportunity for parents to buy toys for their kids uh, at, a, at a reduced price. So Mel, or Melissa, went to the church. She was not yet saved. So she went to the church and to buy the toys, and there was a, a lady, a volunteer lady there that engaged her in conversation, and and that conversation grew and grew, and a couple hours, they talked about life and family and about faith and forever. And, and then they went into this little prayer room on the third floor of that building on East 7th Street. Not much bigger than a closet, really, but it says prayer room on the door. And, and in that little room... Melissa prayed a prayer of submission 
uh, that transformed her life. Mel is now the uh, children's minister at Graffiti Church, a gifted, passionate, loving children's minister. She saved herself by running down 35 flights, but in a, in a little prayer room, something happened that she could not do for herself. But in that little prayer room, her life began to be significantly, holistically, and eternally transformed. Alan didn't know how right he was when he said, people need to be saved. So if you're watching by television, you can email me or call the church. I'd love to talk with you about that. If you're in this room, I'd love to talk with you about that. So when we finish, uh, when we, or in a moment, when we sing, others are going to be singing, I'm going to invite you forward. Now, if you're looking for a church, you've already heard me say how much we'd love to have you. This morning in our early service, a young couple came, said they wanted to be part of our church family. We'd be thrilled to have you, whatever your need is. And we're going to sing hymn number 509, 509, and our ministers will be waiting for you. All you have to do is come to us. We'll take it from there, and we, we sing so that you will come. 509, let's stand, please.